Welcome to the Hand Down Man Down Podcast. What's going on, y'all? This is another edition of the Hand Down Man Down Podcast. It's your boy Danny here, and uh, looks like it's just me for this episode today, guys. And we're going to have a very good lineup here for you today. You know, with everything that's been going on with basketball for the past couple of weeks, should be a good time to get you get you hip on what's been going on lately. For starters, we're going to hit things off with what's been going on in the playoffs. Now, as you know, Cleveland is down 2-0 to Boston. Uh, those first two games, it looked like Cleveland was a shell of themselves going into that hostile crowd up in Boston. And for those first two games, they weren't themselves, especially game one. I mean, game one, everyone had a bad game from LeBron to Kyle Korver to Jordan Clarkson. It just seemed like everything was off for those for those guys during that game. And it did make matters any easier. The fact that Boston was playing like men possessed in game one. They wanted to make sure they held down their home court in those in the, in the, the first game. Just by just by from what you saw from the likes of guys like Al Horford and and Terry Rozier, and especially the and especially Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris was was keeping LeBron in check those, those that first that game one, and you can tell just by the way LeBron played. I mean LeBron was five of sixteen from the field. That's not going to get the job done. And along with that, I mean. Yeah, he had seven assists. I mean, not my bad. Nine assists and seven rebounds. But he went along with seven turnovers. He was a minus. He was a minus thirty-two when he was on the floor for the for the for the Cavaliers that game. And then you look at what Boston did. Boston just a balanced game all around from everybody. I mean, Jalen Brown had twenty-three. Al Horford at twenty. Marcus Morris, like I mentioned, he had twenty-one, but he also came up with ten rebounds. And uh he had and plus with his job he did on LeBron, he he had an excellent game and then, you know, it was just just, just all around good game for those for that first game. And then in the second game I mean, you look at it, LeBron came to life. He had plays all over the place. He came up with another 40-point triple-double. He had 42-12-10. He shot 16-29 and 29 from the field. He was playing lights out. Kevin Love also, he had a good game in that game as well. He had 22-15. But you look at the rest of the field, I mean, J.R., where was were you, my man? You were 0 for 7 from the floor, 0 for 4 from 3. You you gave no real offensive production that game, and that's very rare for J.R. Smith, especially around playoff time playing for this Cleveland Cavaliers team. And then on top of that, your starting point guard, George Hill, he was 1 for 4. He only had 3 points. That's not how you get it done. And if you look at that game, I mean... Cleveland was in control was in control from the start of the game. They were hitting on all cylinders. LeBron was making plays. Their defense was excellent. It was just the fact that they just it just started dwindling down, dwindling down as the game got on. Boston was just scrapping away and just put just picking away, picking away at the league. And the next thing you know, they were up two. You know, with maybe seven minutes left to go in the third quarter, and they just pulled away after that. I mean, Jason Jalen Brown was a was was balling that game. He had twenty three points along with six rebounds, three assists. But just again, that that balanced attack from everybody. You got eighteen from Terry Rozier, eleven from Tatum, fifteen from Horford, twelve from Morris, and then their bench showed up a little bit as well. Marcus Smart had eleven. Aaron Baines had nine. You know, they just got an all-around good production from their bent from their role guys outside of just you know Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford. It's here's here's the thing with me when it comes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland, as we all know, they go as LeBron goes, but at the same time, when LeBron is going, they can't be lagging behind. You can't do that in the playoffs around this time, and this is. This is what hurts a team like Cleveland because in the past, it wasn't just LeBron. You know, they had Kyrie and, you know, they still had Kevin Love. But then again, on top of that, they had the right pieces around those three guys 
that was able to pick up the pick up the pace to go along with what those three were doing. And then this this year, LeBron doesn't have that team. I mean, Kevin Love, he went through some injury woes beginning to, you know, through most of the season and some part of this playoffs. So we don't know if he's 100%. And then at the same time, you got guys like Jordan Clarkson, uh, Larry Nance. This is their first real action of playoffs to go along with Rodney Hood. So they have – this is their first real, you know – First real time in playoffs, and yeah, they've had some, you know, they had the first two series to try to get some their feet underneath them, but, you know, you're going up against a different breed with this Boston team because Brad Stevens, who, in my opinion, is coach of the year, hands down, bar none. I don't know how the NBCA was able to give Dwayne Casey coach of the year. I certainly would have given it, if I, if I had a vote, I wish I had a vote, but I don't have one, I would give it to Brad Stevens. The adjustments he has made from game one on to game two have been phenomenal. And the thing about it is his players are responding. So they're taking everything that he's telling them, he's feeding it back to them, and then they're showing up playing lights out in these first two games. I mean, it's amazing to watch. It's just been beautiful basketball from Boston, and Cleveland needs to clean it up. They're going now. They're going for two home games this weekend, starting on Saturday, and I think they. I think the next home game should be Monday, if I believe. Uh, they have to. They have to pick up the pace here. You cannot go down uh, 3-0 or hell, even 3-1 to this to this Celtics team because if you do, you're going to find yourself in a hole because you have to go back to Boston to win this series if you manage to get one here you get one in Cleveland and you have to go back to Boston to get a win there and then if you win there then you got to get one in Cleveland again and then you got to get another one in Boston so they have to come away with the two they have to come away 2-2 once the once Monday is over if they don't you can go ahead and count them out everyone is bringing up the fact that Boston is not playing well on the road I don't think that's going to be the case this time around because Boston is looking ready to go. They have been the most complete team in the Eastern Conference playoffs since the time the, since the time the playoffs started. And we were all sitting here, we were all so busy focused on Philly, Toronto, and Cleveland, and little did a lot of us forget, myself included, Boston still has a say as to who's going to win the Eastern Conference. And right now, if you ask me, I think they're going to walk away with this. They might, <coughs> excuse me, they might get it in five games with the way they're playing right now because Cleveland can't just depend on LeBron. The thing about it is everyone is saying LeBron is going to get it done for them. That's not enough. LeBron is great. He's he's one of the top players of all time. He's the best player on the planet right now. But the, bat, but the thing about basketball, basketball is a team game. It's five guys on the court. I've never seen a a top player win a championship by himself. You can ask Michael Jordan. You can ask LeBron himself. You can ask Kobe. You can ask all the greats who've won championships. They could not have done it by themselves. It takes a five-man unit on the basketball court to get it done. It takes your best player along with the pieces around him to get the job done. And right now, they cannot depend on LeBron to get the job done. You have to step up there has to be some more accountability amongst those guys. JR, you got to show up. Jordan Clarkson, you got to show up. George Hill, you got to show up. Tristan Thompson, you have to show up. It can't just be on Kevin Love and LeBron James to get it done. Now, granted, Kevin Love didn't have a stellar game in game one, but he was at least able to pick it up in game two to try to at least, you know, give this team some light because Boston is Boston is looking well. They're like a well-oiled machine, and it's not just their main guys. I mean, I mentioned it down the line. You had Marcus Morris's defense on LeBron James, Marcus Smart's toughness on defense, and as a leader for that team, Aaron Baines, Al Horford, all those guys have stepped up for Boston. It looks like they're going to get the job done unless something happens with Cleveland over these next two games and hell for the rest of the series. Because if they don't, they're going to be taking a nice. Nice early exit, and instead of you know trying to go back to Boston, they might just stay in Cleveland and just, just enjoy your vacation home from there. So they have to get the job done. And then you look on the West, 
I mean, this is everything you expected. I expected it to be at least be 1-1 with those first two games in Houston because these two teams are evenly matched. I mean, James Harden, Chris Paul, Clint, Clint Capella, you know what those guys are going to do. And it was good to see those extra pieces show up in game two. Now, everybody's saying, oh, but they have to make adjustments. They didn't have to make any adjustments. That's how they play. It was just game one, they had an off night. Uh, you can say the same thing, going back to these, you can say the same thing about Cleveland. It's just with the West, they they play the way they play. And it was good to see them show up. And then what's beautiful about it, they had the defense to go along with it. They were able to lock down on Golden State in game two. It was amazing to watch because there were there were times in the game, I saw at the beginning of the game one that I knew this was going to be a good series because KD had a cross on Clint on he was get he had a step to the basket and Clint Capella came over to help. There was so many it was so many moments I can bring up in these first two games that was just it was just beautiful to watch. But the main thing I want to bring up is the one that every basketball head should be basking over was that ball movement in the in the in the first half that Houston had that started out that you knew they were going to run away with this game because it started with a James Harden penetration kick and dish to the corner. He could have had that shot. No, he decided I'm going to drive it and make everybody converge. He kicked it. He Trevor took Trevor Reza. Trevor Reza could have had an even better shot. He said, Nope, I'm going to pump fake. Then I'm going to drive and kick again. Everybody converge back turn. And then he kicked it out to Aaron Gordon for a wide open three. It was amazing basketball to watch. I I almost jumped out of my seat watching that play, watching that series that series unfold, and it was just it was great to see. Now they have to be able to hold it down because they're going they're going back to Oakland. Oakland and Oracle Arena is the most hostile environment to play in right now when Golden State is clicking. You got guys like KD, Clay, Draymond Green, all those boys are willing to play. And the only reason I had to hold off on not mentioning Steph yet, because you you gotta wonder, is Steph really a hundred percent? Because he had he looked he looked just a tad bit a step slow in game two. And you, you gotta wonder about whether or not his you know, he's okay because you can, you can see it. You can see the way he was moving. You can see the way, you know, his shot wasn't falling. I mean, Steph was in game two. He was only seven of 19. He only had 16 points. Now, granted, he did get 19 shots, eight of those were threes, and he only hit one. So now I think it'll be a good thing to get back to, to Oracle Arena and start seeing, you know, a much more – much more known pasture, much more known commodity in Oakland, Oracle Arena in Oakland. So that way, some of those shots that he was hitting it, that he was shooting in game two, they might fall in game three. Uh, you you expect KD to do what he's doing. He had 38, he's 13 to 22 from the floor. You know, it's just now you're heading back to, now you're heading back for a home game for games three and four. And it's, expect those guys, expect Clay, expect Steph. Expect Draymond and Iguodala to start to have a very, very, very good good game coming into game three, especially game four. But right now, they just got to focus on game three. And one of the main things, they just got to make sure, they just got to make sure they stay solid. Don't turn the ball over. Uh, just make sure everything is on par with what they were doing. I mean, as a team, you know, Golden State turned the ball over 15 times. And compared to Houston, they only turned the ball over 13 times. Now, granted, that's, you know, that's pretty good. When you can say you can turn the ball over 15 times and, you know, you only lose by, well, they lost by 22. So those, I would I would say those, if you can turn the ball over 15 times and only lose by maybe 11, by maybe, you know, six, you know, it's just cut down on the turnovers. But they lost by 22 points on the road. They have to cut those turnovers down. Even... Even, you know, Steve Kerr had mentioned it at a, at a timeout, an immediate timeout. He said, you know, once as soon as we win the game, you know, win one game, the next game, we start turning the ball over like crazy. That's got to be a consistent thing. They have to fix that because against a team like Houston, that is, that is not a good look. Houston is a team who can take advantage of those turnovers pretty quickly. 
and when you got it, and when you got weapons like James Harden and Kevin Love, I mean not Kevin Love, Chris Paul. I'm still stuck on the <laughs> stuck on the Cleveland series. But when you when you look at those guys they have, and then you look at the pieces around that they surrounded those two with, with Clint Capella and Trevor Ariza and Eric Gordon coming off the bench, who I believe should be this year's sixth man, you know, it's it's going to be a lot. And as for Golden State, you can't go down 2-1 or even 3-1. You can't go down 3-1 to Houston because if it goes back to Houston, you can go ahead and – if they're up 3-1, you can go ahead and count that series a wrap because it's going to be hard for a Golden State to come back, especially with Steph not really being 100%. And I keep barking on Steph because Steph is the driving force of that team. He's the point guard. He's the he's one of the leaders of that team. He may not be the emotional leader like Draymond, but he's a leader nonetheless. And if he's not playing well, if he's not up to 100%, that's not a good it's not a good sign for Golden State going forward, especially playing against Houston. Now I could see if you know Steph Curry, Steph was one looked good, he played well, and they still lost. Then I was thought like, okay, if they go back home, it should be easy. Steph has got to get his feedback. Now, granted, he came back in the playoffs. It's not one of the most ideal times to come back from a knee injury. You know, but with the way Steph has handled himself, you you expect him to come out and at least play some some sort of great game uh, coming into the next coming into game thing. Especially going back home should be a lot easier for him, as I mentioned before. But even if you look at you know the way Houston's playing, they're getting good production from from everybody all the way around, from PJ Tucker to to Trevor Ariza to to Luke and Bob Mute, and again, I bring up Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon had, was, had 27 points. He was 6 of 9 from 3. That is a great way. That's a, that's a great notion that you got a guy who can put up 20 points coming off the bench. A lot of teams don't have that aspect. The last, you know, maybe Clippers do with, uh, with Lou Williams or, you know, if Jamal Crawford, you know, comes back, he might be getting at the age, but he's still a guy who can still fill it up for Minnesota. But when you know you got a guy who can come off the bench and give you a good spark and give you 20, that is an asset that you want to make sure you keep in Houston. So be on the lookout for those for those four games coming up this starting this weekend, starting on Saturday with game three down in Cleveland with between the ball between the Celtics and the Cavaliers. And then Sunday with game three with the Rockets and the Warriors. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, to go along with everything that, with that being mine, I mean, what else happened? You got to bring up, man. The draft lottery was a couple days ago, and if, and if you, and if you were paying attention, you saw how it went down. You saw that Memphis has the number one. No, my bad, not Memphis. Phoenix has the number one pick in this year's NBA draft, and with talks of they don't know if they're going to draft Luka Doncic. Or are they going to draft DeAndre Ayton out of the University of Arizona? If you ask me, that's, I mean, that's not a bad conundrum to have, but it's also a, it also tells you how good this, how good this draft class is because these young guys coming in, you know, these are, they're looking to be great guys coming in as soon as they, as soon as everything gets going because Luka Doncic is is an offensive dynamo. He's an athletic dynamo playing over there in Real Madrid over in Spain. And you expect him if he does come out cuz there's reports now that he's he don't know, he doesn't know if he's going to he's going to come in and play immediately this season or is he going to stay over in Spain and keep in over there for a little bit. He don't we don't know that yet. Now granted all the everybody might be thinking that that's him saying no, I don't want to play in the NBA yet and you know, you might be thinking, oh, but he's taken away from a player who could be drafted. I agree to an extent. The only reason I agree to an extent because this could be a business ploy. When you think about it, you don't, and, and this is coming from a guy who's played, you know, some sort of basketball. He played college basketball, some semi-pro basketball. It's not as, not on the lines of the NBA. It never will be, but it's, it's something. But you got to understand, if you have your guys – in the midst of a championship run, they're in the final four in the Euro in the Euro League right now. 
and you're sitting there telling the media that, oh, I'm folk, I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna be ready for the NBA come next season, but yet you're still trying to play for a championship for the team you're playing for right now. It's not a good look. That's a show. That's a sign that to your teammates that you're not with us. You're not focused on the goal that we're trying to get done right now. Now, Luka Doncic again, like I said, is a potential number one overall pick. He has the opportunity and he has the skill set to change a franchise if drafted, and especially get depending on where he's going. And if he's going to Phoenix, that's some familiarity because. Their new coach, Igor Kokoskov, he coached Luka Doncic for that Slovenia team when they won the Euro Cup last year. So that's some familiarity toward for him. So that'd be a good look. And then at the same time, if you're Phoenix, I'm not I'm not going to be you know stressing out because either way you're going to get a dynamo for of a, of a young basketball player. Because even if you don't take Doncic, you take DeAndre Ayton. You have a big man who's going to be there, who's going to change your franchise, who's going to be an uplifting part of your franchise for years to come. He has the skill set to play inside and outside. He can spread the floor past 15 feet. He's a great he's a great uh, paint presence to have. If you saw him play in Arizona this past season, you'd have known that this man is a is a beast among boys. He'll be able to make a change and he'll be able to make a difference. Now, where we'll start to see some things unfold is after Sacramento with the two pick. Because Atlanta, Memphis, Dallas, and Orlando and Chicago all are in the line to make a possibly make a move. Now, all the teams are in, in line to possibly make a move to go up or go down in the draft. But after those first two picks, it seems like they got a lot to work with coming into those two picks with uh, between, you know, with everything that's supposed to happen afterwards. Because you got guys like Mo Bamba, Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, and even the two dynamic point guards with Colin Sexton and Trey Young. You know, there's a lot that can that, you know, those teams work with. But with a report coming out, they're saying that Memphis may trade out of that fourth pick. That leaves a lot open for, you know, for discussion because if they trade that pick, one, who would what would be the package for that pick? And two, who would be willing to make the trade up to get that fourth pick? Because you never know. Um, there's too much talent in this year's draft class to, to be like, okay, we're going to hold on to this pick. We're going to get this guy. But then again, there might be somebody else that we like. So we might not, we might slide down a bit. That way we don't have to pay him so much. So that way we can get this guy at a cheaper price than what we would have, say, for a guy who is a higher pick in this situation. So it all depends with what happens after the first two picks. And definitely for Memphis, it's definitely going to see what happens after the Atlanta pick. Because their pick is going to determine their, what they're going to do is going to determine what Memphis is going to do because Atlanta has some things to work with at that at that number three spot. They could take Marvin Bagley, depending on who's there. They could take Mo Bamba because they do need a a defensive center in that paint to go along with John Collins, who was a pretty good four guy for the Atlanta Hawks this year. Just it was just a shame that they couldn't put everything together, especially with how but with the way the East was so talented this year and they caught up. It was hard for them to realize what were they going to do. So they have some options to go with at that at the third pick. So whatever Atlanta does is definitely going to determine what Houston's going to do with that pick. Are they going to trade out of that pick? Are they going to stay with it and make the pick or make a trade down the line for some extra pieces for that front for the team? It all depends. I mean, because they still have a win-now roster. They still have Mike Conley Jr. They still have Marcus All. So all they need is just some extra pieces around them. Maybe going young might be a way to go for them. So who knows what they're going to do in this situation. But the way the draft lottery played out, um, Cleveland was able was in a good spot because it all depends on who falls to them at that pick. Philly was able to get the number 10 pick. Uh, from the Los Angeles Lakers. The Clippers have two first-round picks, so they can definitely turn those around. They can probably turn those into assets, if you ask me, because they're going to need some subsidiary pieces to go along with and to go along with having DeAndre Jordan still, uh, still in the paint 
So they could go out and get another point guard with uh, with one of those picks, or like I said, they can trade those picks to go get a more veterans veteran skilled point guard and get some more pieces around there for those two picks. You never know what's gonna happen with those lottery picks. And then after that, everything everything after that is pretty much status quo with the way the drafts are gonna turn out. Um, I can't wait to see what's gonna happen. It looks like this is going to be a very good star late. Not, I'm not going to say star late because these guys haven't played a minute in the NBA yet. But it looks like these guys are going to come in. They should be. They have the talent that's going to come in and make an impact for a lot of these teams into the into the beginning part of the draft. Now we get into the nitty gritty. Tonight is the return of the WNBA. It's coming back for its 22nd season. Um, a lot of these women are ready to go. They're ready to ball after playing overseas and, you know, Russia and Europe and wherever they've been playing at. So a lot of these women are ready to go ball, um, you know, especially with the way things turned out in the draft. You got you got young players, got like Asia Wilson. You got uh, Lexi Brown, Gabby Williams, Diamond the Shields. A lot of these a lot of these ladies are ready to play, you know, with this season coming in. And one of the main questions that I have is, is Minnesota going to repeat this year as champs? Um, right now, they have the they have four championships that's tied for the most in WNBA history behind the Houston Commons with their, with their amazing four-peat that they had with Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops and Tina Thompson as the core for that franchise. So I don't know what's that. Do they have what it takes to get that? No, I'm not going to take it back. They have what it takes to win another championship this year. They have what it takes to repeat. The question is, are they going to do it? Because the Sparks, they're not a bad team either, and they're going for their fourth championship this year as well. You know, they're getting a lot of their they're getting a lot of their stars back. You got Candace Parker coming back. You got Neka Agumike coming back, and then with them bringing back Odyssey Sims and Elena Beard, and still having Chelsea Gray, and then also bringing in Cappy Pondexter, who was a very good ball player, and her and you know, going into her veteran years of the WNBA, they have what it takes to to get it done this year for the uh, LA Sparks to try and compete and beat the the Lynx or whoever's going to be there facing in the finals to get that fourth championship. Now, after those two, this is where it gets interesting because all of the teams after that are so balanced out, they're so talent, they're so talented on both sides of the ball that you don't know what's going to happen in this situation because. For me, a dark dark horse this year is are going to be the Mystics, the Dallas Wings, and the Seattle Storm. And now, yes, I'm starting with the Mystics. I'm a homegrown boy. That's my that's that's the WNBA team I root for. Now, you wouldn't think that because my favorite NBA team is the Spurs. But yes, my favorite WNBA team is the Washington Mystics. That's that's my hometown team. Um, they're getting a lot of their core core players back. Elena Deladon should be 100% ready to go. Um, uh, Taylor Hill is coming off of the injuries that she had last season, and that's going to be a that's going to be a huge kick for Washington to to get over that hump for their um, trying to get past get a little further into the playoffs this year. And then along with them, they're also getting. They're also getting uh, Chrissy Tolliver back, but they're also getting a lot of things. Now, what's going to hurt them is not having Emma Messa, Emma Messerman back because she'll be playing for her team. She'll be playing for Belgium in the World Championships this summer. So it's going to be – we'll see how they can respond without having Emma Messerman back. And then you go on to the Wings. The Wings picked up a key piece in Liz Cambridge. Now, a lot of you all don't remember who Liz Cambridge is because Liz Cambridge – she was playing in the WNBA back in 2013, and she hasn't been in the WNBA since. Um, she's been playing overseas over in her native Australia for the past couple years, and she's been putting up a way to she's been putting up to where she's been noticed now that she's now back in the WNBA, and she was able to sign with the Dallas Wings in the offseason. Now the big thing is the fact that that the thing that we want to know is is she going to turn the Dallas Wings into a championship contending team. Um, they already have two dynamic guards with Skylar Diggins and Alicia Gray, with Alicia Gray being rookie of the year last year. You know, so she's gonna be she's gonna be able to hold down the paint for the Dallas Wings this season while Skylar Diggins and uh, and Alicia Gray are gonna be
draft this year. She was able to move all the way up to number three. Now, the thing about it is Dallas will have everything that they're going to need to get the job done. But the key, again, is going to be Liz Cambridge because of the fact that she has the experience, she has the skill set to be a to be a game-changing player in the WNBA. We're going to see how that how that folds, how that's going to happen, how that's going to turn about for this team. Uh, and then again, I brought up the Seattle Storm. The Seattle Storm have a foursome that is going to be crucial for them this year. And and here the thing is, are they going to be able to pick up the pieces under Coach Dan Hughes? Now I mentioned that foursome. You got Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, Sue Bird, and they picked up Jordan Canada in the draft this year. They were able to put it down and get everything done this year, and this could be a huge year for the Seattle Storm this year. They will be able to compete with the likes of Phoenix and the L.A. Sparks in the West. That way they can get a high playoff seed and maybe go further along in the playoffs this year. Now we bring up the other teams that, you know, you think about. And we'll start with the expansion team out in Vegas. Must be a lot of things going on in Vegas as you look at hockey. And I know we don't talk really talk about most sports on here, but Vegas is starting to become a hotbed for pro teams. You got to remember the Raiders will be coming there in a couple years. The Golden Knights in the NHL are playing well. They might go to the Stanley Cup this year with the way they're playing. And then you got the Aces. The Aces will be will be a I don't I don't I'm not sure how they're going to turn about because this is their first year, but it's pretty much the San Antonio Silver Stars. They just uprooted from San Antonio, uprooted to the, uh, uprooted to Vegas. Uh, and the big thing that they got was they got the they had the number one overall pick this year. They wound up drafting Asia Wilson. Asia Wilson was a game changing basketball player for the South Carolina Gamecocks last not even last year, just her time being there. You know she was she was a Force. She was. She had inside game. She had outside game. She had good. She could finish around the basket. She was able to play some great defense for Dawn Staley, and she's looking to bring that over. And now she's going to have a big time coach and Bill Lambert, who's going to give her the ropes on how to be a, a a post player in the pro game. Because if y'all remember, Bill Lambert was part of those bad boy Pistons of the '80s. So she's getting a good good head coach in the terms of teaching her how to grind it out, how to get, you know, position in the paint. But then you look at them, they don't have a bad roster to go along outside of that. You got guy, you got girls that include Kayla McBride, Mariah Jefferson, and Kelsey Plum, who I think have a basis. She was the number one overall pick last year, and she was playing very well for San Antonio. I look for her to be a big spark for the Aces this year and to come and to break out as one of the true top top girls in the WNBA this year. And on top of that, we bring up we bring up the the draft that happened, you know, a couple of weeks ago. The WNBA draft was stacked with a lot of talent this year. Um, we already mentioned Asia Wilson, you know. Then we bring up the fact that you had Diamond to Shields. Gabby Williams getting drafted to Chicago. Kia Nurse is down with the Liberty. Uh, Lexi Brown for Connecticut. Azari Stevens in Dallas. This year, I look for a lot of those those ball players to have big time impacts for their team this year. Now, yes, they're all young. This is going to be their first taste of some real professional action. But at the same time. They have the talent and the skill set to be able to come in and compete. We already mentioned Azaray Stevens again. We already mentioned Azaray Stevens and Asia Wilson, but you got to look at it from this. Look at the other players that came in. Uh, Jordan Canada up in Seattle. She's an offensive dynamo for those for those for that team. And to go along and add her with Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd, they have a young nucleus that's going to be fine once Sue Bird decides to you know retire. And then again, we go down to we go over to the East Coast. We go over to Connecticut. Lexi Brown is is was a defensive machine for Duke uh, during her college days. And the fact that she's coming in with some offensive game as well, she should look to have some big time minutes in that rotation for the Connecticut Sun this year. And even then, on top of that, you know, 
Um, the Sparks picked up Maria Vidiva. She's looking to be she's looking to be a force for that team this year. Um, there was there's so many different ball players for the that came into the draft this year that are looking to make some impact for these teams this year, and uh, should be a good look for those young girls. But there's a lot to get into it because you still we still don't know what's going to happen. This this year is going to be a, this is going to be I believe is going to be a big year for the WNBA. They're already looking to you know get more marketability out there for some of these for these basketball players because I'm telling you now we have got to stop looking at the WNBA and thinking it's going to be the NBA. Yes, they all play professional basketball, but everyone who watches basketball, they're all in the mindset for the entertainment value. You know, they're all like, "Oh, they don't but they don't dunk, you know, there's there's a lot of sloppy play." No, it's not. If you played basketball, you'll understand that happens in the W that happens in basketball. You know, there were ball players in the NBA who can't dunk, but yet y'all are still watching. So you gotta get into the mindset that you you gotta understand that these girls are gonna come in, they're gonna hoop, and we you gotta stop disrespecting them because of the fact that oh they can't do this and they can't do that. And once we start realizing that these women can do these things that the same thing that the NBA can do, it's gotta be done. Now, granted, Candace Parker brought up a good point. She stated it was it was some she did it on an interview and they they recorded that one they recorded that one quote. It's usually guys who haven't played basketball that is usually disrespecting the WNBA, and that has to stop. You know, with players with players like Candace Parker, Sue Bird, uh, Maya Moore, Simone Augustus, Sylvia Fowles, you know, Kelsey Kelsey Plum, Brittany Griner, Diana Taurasi. A lot of these women can come out here and they can show up. Most of the most of the guys who are sitting here disrespecting the way the game is played in the WNBA. You just got to stop. It's good basketball, so cut cut that out. But back to what back to you know getting into this pre, the preview and getting ready for the season that's coming up. You know, a lot of teams are looking to either regain momentum, build momentum. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they play. And one of those teams is the Connecticut Sun. You know, they, with Jonquil Jones doing what she did last year, setting the record for rebounds per game in the season, she was a real breakout star for the Connecticut Sun last year. And they did all this without Chenea Gumake. And, you know, they still had the likes of Jasmine Thomas and Alyssa Thomas. That team is looking to regain that momentum and keep building on what they already accomplished in the seasons prior to that, and they should be able to get it done this season in the East because it's gonna be it's gonna be real competitive this year. And then along with them, the the Phoenix Mercury. How little do we forget how this team can play? You know, granted they still have two of the best players in Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner. It's still that team is still dominant. That team is still strong, and they should be able to be one of the top teams this year. Uh, picking up Brienne January, and then also still keeping Dewana Bonner. You know that gives you know two MVP favorites. If you ask me, and Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner, a little bit more time to get that championship, and they too can possibly join the four title clubs. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play. Now again, we already mentioned Connecticut as a team who can catch this, who can catch the league and fans by surprise. But don't take your eyes off of what the Chicago Sky are doing up in the Midwest. With the way with the way that team is is built and the way that team is looking to play, with the likes of you know uh, Big Mama Steph and bringing in the young girls, um, Gabby Williams and Diamond DeShields. It's going to be a huge, huge task, and they they look to be you know up to the task to pretty much get the job done. Uh, Chicago is going to be a threat to a lot of teams this year, and I think they're going to be able to handle themselves as well because they have the team. They have the roster to get the job done this season, and I'm expecting to them to make a splash and to make an impact this season. Like I said, with Stephanie Dolson leading the way, and then you got the two young girl, the two young ball players, and like I said, Gabby Williams and Diamond DeShields, the Chicago Sky might be a team that's going to threaten some teams and make a scare to what's going on in, in the WNBA this year, you know. And then on top of that, you got the Atlanta Dream. 
the Atlanta Dream were always a big-time competitor in the East and the WNBA. And with them getting Angel Akatri back, that's gonna—I think—that's gonna be another driving force to get them back to the playoffs. You know, she's already she's already the leading scorer in the in the history franchise's history. But then again, she also has some help to get along with it. With Laisha Callen- Clarendon and Tiffany Hayes still coming in. And then also bringing in impact players like Renee Montgomery and Jessica Breeland. The Dream are looking to, to make some changes and improve upon that 12-22 and 22 record last year. And possibly make a threat to get back into the playoffs. And the big thing that I want to see is, first things first, let's send a big congratulations out to Katie Smith. Katie Smith was one of the Hall of Fame inductees this past year. And she's also named the head coach of the New York Liberty. Let's see what is she's going to look to, you know, get them back to the way they've been playing. Because although she was an assistant under Bill Lambeer for the first couple of years, Bill Lambeer had that team rolling. And I don't see Katie Smith, you know, taking a notch down from what he already established. They already got Tina Charles back and she was one of the, she's one of the best post. Play, she's one of the best post players in the WNBA this year. And along with that, she should have enough to get the job done. With players like Bria Hartley, along with bringing up the young the young gun, Kia Nurse, the New York Liberty should have a big impact with how they play this year. You know, they were they were always one of the top teams in the league, and they, you know, for the past two years, 2016-2017, they want to combine 43 games. I don't see why, I don't see how that should, you know, should, should change in a negative way with the way that team has been playing because – Again, like I said, Katie Smith is looking to keep that going. And, you know, we already mentioned Tina Charles. We already mentioned Kia Nurse. We already mentioned Brielle Hartley. They also got the likes of Kia Stokes, sixth woman of the year, Sugar Rogers, and also having in established post players and Kia Vaughn. You know, they're going to be a big problem in the East. And also the big thing is pay attention to what Marissa Coleman is going to do as bring her veteran leadership for that team in this year. They're looking to make a big impact, and I don't see, I don't see how they won't get it done in in the East this year. And I'm thinking they'll probably possibly be the top team in the East. Now, me being a fanboy, I think the Mystics will probably do that. But again, like I said, with them not having Emma Messerman, I don't know how much that's going to help them. But it's going to be definitely to see how that's going. And then at the same time, we're going to bring up another team that's looking to change their their momentum around, and that's the Indiana Fever. The Indiana Fever, ever since Tamika Catchings left, you know, they haven't they haven't played up to the standard that we've known them to play at over the years. But you that that can possibly change. You know, you're bringing in you're bringing in young guns, Kelsey Mitchell from Ohio State, Te- Stephanie M- M- Mavunga, and Victoria Vivians also lead that also stand out for that roster along with Tiffany Mitchell. The Fever can be a big time ball play, a big time uh, player once it, you know gets down to crunch time going into the playoffs. And then at the same time, you know we're also we're always mentioning how some of these teams are gonna be they're gonna be vying for some spots into the playoffs with them only having. You know, they're only, you know, single elimination the first couple of rounds and then best of five after that. So we look, we're going to see a lot of teams, you know, become big time players, either big time players or they're going to have to, you know, look on be on the outside looking in. And it's going to be it's, it's going to be competitive in their 22nd year this year. And I don't see them. I don't see that going away anytime soon. Now, again, we also mentioned, like I said, this is their 22, 22nd season. They are looking to make a lot of changes to get things going for the WNBA. And one of the big things that's looking to do that is is pairing up with Sylvan Labs. Now, Sylvan Labs is going to help them with their long-term growth and have and come up with a strategy that's going to keep them going, that's going to market them better. Now, granted, we all, the WNBA does a good job of marketing, but with combining with Sylvan Labs... It should be a big-time improvement from what they already had coming into last season. They already had a growth in attendance, and they had a growth in merchandise sales, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. You know, that's going to be huge for them this year, especially going into the season with a lot of the players coming back, established players, young players. We'll definitely see how that goes around. Now we get to, you know, how these awards are going to stack out. You know, after seeing the GM survey – 
that was completed a while a couple days ago. You know, there were a lot of there were a lot of names on those lists that could be seen as, you know, big time threats to making things happen. We already mentioned Diana Taurasi. Uh, we didn't mention enough of Maya Moore, Brittany Griner, Tina Charles, Elena Beard is one of the better defenders, along with Brianna Stewart. You know, this is going to be a big time year for possibly who could get the awards going. Um, and for starters, you can look at the MVP list. It's it's not a big list. But it's a list that you should pay attention to because Maya Moore is a potential candidate along with Sylvia Fowles, and they're on the same team together. You know, uh, Neko Gumake and Candace Parker, again, teammates on the same team. Uh, Diana Taurasi and uh, Brittany Griner, again, players on the same teams. But I'm going to tell you, keep an eye out on John Quill Jones up in Connecticut, Brianna Stewart in Seattle, and Skylar Diggins down in Dallas. Skylar Diggins has come a long way since that ACL injury she suffered a couple years ago. And every year she seems to get better and better and better from the time that she was coming out of Notre Dame. And I see this being a huge year for her this year for the uh, for the Dallas Wings. Again, like I said, picking up Liz Cambage, that's a huge pickup for a point guard like that. To know that you have a you have a good inside presence to to pick up the the slack inside the paint. You know, dribbling, you can penetrate and kick. She will have a lot of things going for her this year. And then we also mentioned Brianna Stewart. Brianna Stewart of that four-headed monster up in Seattle is is the key to them getting it done. I don't see her fall. I don't see her slowing down anytime soon. And then John Quill Jones, with her ascension, she was a huge ball player, a huge asset for the Connecticut Sun last season. And I see her being a big-time threat to being an MVP candidate and possibly winning the award this year. Um, we're getting again. We're gonna keep this going because we gotta look at all these different awards. Um, I'm gonna go with Brianna Stewart as possibly one of Defensive Player of the Year. Now, don't sleep on Brittany Griner. Don't sleep on Sylvia Fowles, and don't sleep on Elena Beard. Those are three big time defenders in the WNBA, and I see them making a huge impact. But I think Brianna Stewart is going to come away with the award. She's going to be a big time defender for the Seattle Storm, along with her offensive game, and she's going to be key for that team this year. Uh, I see Renee Montgomery, either Renee Montgomery or Sugar Rogers winning uh, sixth woman of the year. That's if Renee Montgomery is coming off the bench, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that's going to happen this year because I'm not sure how the rotations look yet. But I believe that reward, award would possibly come down to Sugar Rogers once again because she was a she was a big time uh, key player for the New York Liberty coming off the bench last season, and she's looking. I see her improving on that. As for Rookie of the Year, this is going to be a tough one. Outside of MVP being a tough one, the Rookie of the Year would probably be the toughest because of the fact you have girls like we mentioned. We already mentioned Asia Wilson. We mentioned Jordan Canada. We mentioned Lexi Brown. We've mentioned the main names. And if you ask me, I think Asia Wilson will come down getting the award. She's gonna be she's gonna be an impact player for the Las Vegas Aces this year. And I don't see her not winning the award. Only because of what her skill set will be and the fact that she's gonna be an impact player for that team this year. A lot of these young a lot of the young girls who we look as rookies, they're coming into a situation where they might not be the main girl for that team. But Asia Wilson is going to be the main player behind Kelsey Plum for the Las Vegas Aces. And I don't see her not winning the award this year. Uh, on top of that, if you look at Coach of the Year, I think I think Dan Hughes is going to take the award. Uh, we already know the GM sees Cheryl Reeve as the best coach. I mean, that's hands down bar none. But it's not always the best coach doesn't always win coach of the year every year. That's like saying the best player doesn't win MVP every year. Because, again, with MVP, it's most valuable. You can be the best player, but there could be a player more valuable to their team than you were this year. So but when it comes to coach of the year, I think Dan Hughes is going to put it all together and get coach of the year this year up in Seattle. He's going to be he's going to be able to manage all of those players and their personalities and put together a quality game plan each and every night for Seattle to come out and get wins tonight this season. And I think he'll be the one to take away the the hardware for coach of the year this year. But if you ask me, we were talking about it, you know, to, at the start of the preview, I see the Minnesota Lynx 
Matter of fact, I actually see them losing the championship this year to the Sparks. The Sparks will join that four title club. And the only reason I say that because the Minnesota Lynx losing so many valuable pieces to that rotation. You know, the main one being Renee Montgomery going down to Atlanta. It's going to be hard for them to repeat this year. I don't I don't think it can be done. I think they'll be able to make it a competitive series when they go when it goes to the finals. It'll be another five game epic like it's been for the past couple of years between those two teams. But I think the Sparks are kind of going to come away with it because they were able to maintain so much of their roster and so much people that you don't lose the glue. You don't lose what you already had. You don't have to worry about rebuilding something that was already built once players left or if a new player had to come in. So I think the Sparks will walk away with the championship this year. But in regards of all that, this is going to be, I think this is going to be a fascinating year for the W, not fascinating, but fascinating season for the WNBA this season. With everything that's going on with these players and with these organizations and with the moves that are being made to make the league a better, um, you, I see this being a key, key season for the WNBA, and it's going to be a positive season. It's going to be a breakthrough season, and it's going to be a wonderful season to watch. It's going to be a lot of great basketball this summer, and I can't wait to get start, get to start watching. It all starts tonight. The Phoenix Mercury and the and the Dallas Wings get it started tonight at 10 o'clock. It's going to be a battle of the bigs between Brittany Griner and Liz Cambage. Uh I think Liz is going to get the better of Brittany Griner, not in the sense of having better games. They're all they're both going to have great games. But in terms of getting the victory, I think the Dallas Wings will take this game tonight. It's going to be difficult to stop uh the duo of Liz Cambage and Skylar Diggins in this first game, just to see how things are going to happen. This will be a this will be a good sign of what are things to come for that franchise, and I think it's going to be crucial for them this season. So it's going to be it's going to be a fun season. It's going to be a fun summer of basketball. You know, we still haven't even gotten a chance to get into any of the offseason moves yet in the NBA. You know, with the big three coming, it's going to be a wonderful season. And the WNBA is going to be leading the way this summer. Uh, so be on the lookout. Get ready to watch the games tonight, starting tonight and this weekend. You know, the WNBA, the, their league passed. They have a free trial out right now. Take advantage of that to get to watch these first few games for this first week. So definitely enjoy it. Um, we're going to catch you guys later. It was just, you know, it was fun. It was it was a fun episode doing this on my own. I'm gonna get a chance to do this a lot. So with with Tim taking a taking a rest day, I said I would tell I would hold it down for him. I think I think we did a good job with that tonight. So from us to you guys, we'll catch you guys later. And in the meantime, between time, I got some games to get ready to watch. So I'll catch you guys later. Peace.